Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Monday Main Point. It is Monday, March 14th, 2022, and uh, I am happy here to be joined by the entire pastoral staff from Rosa Sharon Baptist. We're happy to have Pastor Jeff back with us once again. Woohoo! And uh, um, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're glad to see you back with us and back in, back in the chair and uh, back able to discuss this stuff with us, which is what we do on Monday Main Point. We just kind of go back and look at the message that we, uh, that we preached on Sunday. Um, we, we missed two of these, uh, or well, we didn't do one last week. And uh, so there's, there's actually a couple of ways we can go with this, and we'll just see how the conversation takes us. But I'm Jonathan Hendrickson. I'm the associate pastor here at Rosa Sharon Baptist, and I am joined, as I said, with our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy, and then our, our children's pastor, Blake Flincham, and our youth pastor, Jeremiah Custer. Uh, and uh, we're all together in the room, ready to discuss this. Guys, I've been doing, um, in, since Jeff was out for a while, I, I decided to go ahead and look over um, maybe a, a single book of the Bible and, and just walk right through it um, with the intent of um, it actually started because I was looking for uh, I, I wanted to do a, a, a message it was going to be a single message on what do we need to change about ourselves we talk about New Year's at, at the start of a new year a lot of times we look at we do a lot of introspection and stuff and we think okay well what do I need to change how you know what what needs to be different about me and and um, and that got me thinking along the lines of what should be different. What is different between a Christian and a non-Christian? What, what what are some marks about us? And immediately, of course, you guys are pastors. You know where my mind goes. I think, oh, hey, I could go to First John because First John has a lot of those we know statements, right? We know that we're uh, we know that we're um, his children because of his spirit in us, and we know. And there's several of those. And I thought, okay, I'll just do a sermon just on the we know statements. But then I started looking, I was like, whoa, there's a lot of we know statements. This is a lot to try and pack into one message. And so um, I decided, why not do the whole thing? And so I did. And uh, it was a bit of a challenge because, as I've mentioned on here on the podcast before, John just, first John doesn't, is not like a typical letter. Like Paul's letters are really well laid out, well argued. John's letter is a, almost like a collection of sermons. It's, 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 uh, there's not a lot of flow to it. And in fact, there's a lot of repetition. And so um, walking through it verse by verse and trying to find those stopping spots and those kinds of things was a little bit of a challenge, but I really enjoyed it. And at the end of the day, I, I liked where we went with it. Um, yesterday, I, I, I did wrap it up. Well, last week I did um, uh, understanding a different way. And uh, on that one, um, I'm looking here. Sorry, guys. Uh, did First John four seven through twenty one, and um, <clears throat> so we can talk about that if we want. But then yesterday I tackled First uh, John five one through thirteen, and um, and looked at um, trusting a different hope. So we can talk about both of those if we want. Um, any anything you want to say about either of those? Um, <clears throat> I think um, they actually kind of link up well with one another um, when. Again, it seems that there are two major themes, guys, when I, when I look at John. And the first part of it seems to be this, this theme about light versus darkness. Almost this, this notion of discipleship, right? And the other, or like walking, walking as he walked. And the other is love. Love is a heavy theme in 1 John. Um, and, and, not, and so the latter half of it really deals with 
that we need to love God and love one another. That's something that John says over and over and over again. Love God, love one another. Um, and like we saw in last week's um, uh, message, Jeremiah, that, that idea of loving God um, is often misunderstood. Um, it's, it's, it's taken in the wrong direction. We, people will take the idea that God is love and, and then run with that in, in a way that, that I, don't think the, I don't think John intended for one thing. And I think it, it, it has a whole lot to do with misunderstanding that is and God is love. I, I talked about that a little bit on, uh, in last week's message, but uh, I, know, I know that's, passion, that, that's something you're passionate about. So what, what do you think about that? Yeah, so um, recently, probably within the last, I don't know, four months, uh, I was listening to a guy, uh, he's an internet pastor pretty much, his name is Mike Winger, if you want to look him up, but he he had a, a video uh, and it was titled, uh, Love is God, and his whole argument was that that our culture, like we would say as Christians, that God is love. That's our mantra. It comes from First John. But our culture has kind of flipped that on its head. And, and our culture kind of preaches that love is God. And if love is God, it means that love defines who God is. Mm-hmm. If God is love, that means God defines what love is. As long as it's not like that is of identity. Like yeah, talking which, about before, what right? uh, Jonathan made a good point about last week. So if you missed last week's sermon, not not yesterday's sermon, but last week's, go back. Jonathan does a great job talking about the is uh, um, and identity and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But our culture just, and, and you, you nailed it when you talked about um, those examples you gave. Like... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you can't tell me, or as long as it's love, mm-hmm. uh, and then you said, uh, um, God loves me, so he wants me to be happy. Yeah. And what the, so we we did sermon based that week uh, with the students, and what the students kind of came down with is they said that our culture kind of teaches that love is synonymous with happiness. Yeah, and that makes it, and that compounds the problem even further. Yeah, <laughs> the love is is synonymous with happiness, uh-huh. and that if happiness defines who God is, then you're going to get this picture of as long as it's love or happiness, as long as you're happy, then it's pleasing to God, mm. which mm. is just contrary to uh, the majority of Scripture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, no, I, that, that, that's right. I, 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 yeah, I looked up the examples. I think I said, uh, a loving God will not send people to hell. Uh, God is for love, so if we're doing the loving thing, then we're doing the right thing. And God loves me and therefore wants me to be happy. I actually heard the third one as a justification one time um, for a woman uh, justifying an affair that she was in, in, involved in. Oh, she, wow. said, she said, God loves me, and he want, I believe God loves me. He wants me to be happy. And I'm happy right now, so I'm doing. So I'm. She, so she was justifying what she was doing, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, and I, and, I, and, I, and I walked away from that, going, "How can you, uh, you know, you, how can you, how can you, you, you think that way?" And and but I understand why. It's exactly what you were just talking about. It's because people, Jeff, have have got this idea that that love is God, that um, that God that that, and therefore whatever I define love as, if I define love as happiness. Happiness is God. If I define love as uh, the the warm, fluttery feeling I have in my heart whenever I'm with my wife, then that's what God is. You know what I'm saying? 
Right, and I think uh, probably the word agape was probably used for that definition too. It, it is, and, and of course, it's sacrificial, uh, giving love. That means uh, then that takes happiness out of the picture then because normally if I sacrifice something I'm not happy about it I'm giving something up mm-hmm. or, I've, or if I'm putting my wishes to the side in order to help someone else you know that's more love than as opposed to uh, trying to get something out of it so I think that that comes into play when people think then what can I get out of God then and what can God get out of me in this love relationship to make it like that so if God loves me then I should be wealthy and prosperous and mm-hmm. healthy and all. So if I'm not, then obviously God doesn't love me. Right. I've done something then to make him punish me. Mm-hmm. So I've got to do something to get that love back. So you create all kind of problems that way Yeah. Uh, when you look at it. Well, you know, it's funny. When you look at 1 John 4, 7, it actually, it, it has, if you, and I mentioned this briefly in the message, but it says, you know, um, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just take that verse out of its context and, and you pull that out, then, then anybody could use that to say, oh, well, see, we're all children of God because everybody loves. What, you know, what, what, what person is there that doesn't love someone or something? Everybody loves. And if you love, then you've been born of God. And the Bible says you know God. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it gives you take that literally. It opens up a big way to like universalism and oh, yeah. thinking that you know everybody's a child of God and that everybody's good, and then you really have no need to share the gospel. Then, if right. that's true, you have no need to share the gospel. It obliterates the mission. Field, so clearly, you know? that can't be what he's talking right. about. Like, I mean, you know, because I mean, like I said in the message, I, I, he spent three full chapters before that talking about the difference between children of God and, and people who are not children of God, and and so it can't just be the fact that if you love, then you're a child of God. It, 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 I think it goes back to the, what we're talking about, how we're going to define love here, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Scripture's clear that not everybody is a child of God. They might have been created by God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a adopted child of God who has been saved through Jesus. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people, and you'll hear like, a lot of politicians say, well, we're all God's children or activists or whoever, and it's not true. It's just simply not true, and so that's why we have to be grounded in the scriptures. And I think, I mean, First John's a great, especially for our context. I mean, I think all the books of the Bible are great for our context. Right. But First uh, John's really good because it addresses a lot of stuff you see going around. So that's yeah. one thing that I really loved about it too. Yeah, I, and you know, in case you were confused, John sort of defines love for you. Like he doesn't leave it there. Because he says God's love was revealed or shown to us in this way. He sent his one and only son to the world so we might live through him. So he gave us mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of love we're talking about is that. Mm-hmm. And then the very next verse he says love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved mm-hmm. us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Mm-hmm. So there's what he means by love. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you were talking about, Jeff. It, it, you know, Even if you don't know Greek, even if you don't know what agape is, um, this is clearly a different kind of love that he's talking about. Um, this is a different way of loving than the world loves. And so and that was really sort of the point of, of that. Me- the, the whole point of that message is that, you know, the, the, the early Christians were, were, were said to be um, people of the way. Mm-hmm. There was a, so um, we don't really use that terminology anymore. Um, you know, we don't talk about it in, 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 in those terms. But 
It was a different way of walking. It was a different way of living life. Enough to where they said, oh, those are people of the way. Mm. And it's like, wow, okay. And, of course, we know the way as a person. <laughs> you know, the way is Jesus. Jesus says, so, so, to, uh, so the whole idea of understanding a different way is uh, really all about understanding a whole different. It's like you know, looking at, at the world through a different lens. Right, and then he has that verse eleven to, to what you just said that if we if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he, he shows us how God shows love. Mm-hmm. He demonstrates it. He sends his son, even when we don't deserve it. He still dies for us and loves us in order to do that. And then now, then because he's done this for you, and now you're following me, then. You ought to love each other. Right. Which means, that goes back to the happiness thing. Well, if everybody at church likes me, I'm happy. But if I have a disgruntled person that doesn't like me, then, you know, that it, it, it messes us up. So I'm not going to love that person. I'm going to shun that person as opposed to, hey, I'm sorry. Let's put all this behind us. Let's work this thing out. Yeah, and, and I, I, I want to go to that um, before we switch gears and look at yesterday's message a little bit. One of the things that um, the, the 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 third point of that message we're talking about last week's uh, you know two weeks ago's message on the understanding a different way was um, uh, you know that he gives us a different motive right the, the, yeah. his motive is a different uh, example or something like that but the point is is that um, that I, I I think I said something like um, it's whatever excuse you can cook up for not loving one another. You know, whatever you want to say, it, it, you know, oh, they hurt me. Um, they, they won't accept me. Um, so I, I'm not going to love them, right? The Bible doesn't leave any room for that at all. Option, really. it's, not, it's non-optional. That, that's exactly right. Because John 4, 20 through 21, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother he has seen cannot love the God he has not seen. And we have this command from him. It's an imperative. The one who loves God must also, must also love his brother. Not ought to love his brother, but must also love his brother. Why is it, though, the case that God says, if you're going to love me, then you have to love your brother? Why, why, why say that? Why is it the case that I, how, why is it that I can't love God and not love my brother? Well, in John, he basically tells us that's, the evidence to the lost and dying world that we really are believers because we love one another. Mm. That's the only evidence we have. Not uh, my baptism certificate or my degree from seminary. None of those things, those are are good things at all, but that's not the evidence. The evidence is how I treat my fellow believer in Christ. And if I do it the right way and they're doing it the right way, then the world's looking in saying, wow, wow, those people really do love each other, and mm-hmm. they look and see what's missing in their life because that's something I want. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's why it's so crucial. Yeah. If we don't have that, we're just like the world. Then we create, and, and unfortunately, in <clears throat> in church settings and institutions and all, politics comes into play as far as church politics, and people divide up in factions, and then you have these debates, and you have these heated arguments, and then you don't, you're not showing love, and the world's looking in going, well, they're no different from us. Why do I want to get involved in a, another group of people that's fighting each other and not respecting each other and not mm-hmm. loving each other? Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's the imperative there. Yeah. You guys want to add to that? 
Yeah, I think it goes back to uh, a sermon I think you did maybe four weeks ago, which was the the abiding. So, mm-hmm. like, if we're gonna say from John First John four four that God is love and God abides in us, and uh, so for for example, First John three twenty four <clears throat> says, "Whoever keeps His commandment abides in God, and God in Him." And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So if, if God is love, if He defines love, if it's in His character, it's in His nature to be loving, and then He abides in us, then we must, if we're His children, if we abide in Him, if we're uh, in relationship with Him, He will live out in us that love, that mm-hmm. unconditional love. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I love to define unconditional because it, it just it puts in our brains. So you just you just gave some conditions, right? Like they hurt me. That's right. a condition. Yeah. Uh, they don't deserve it. That's mm-hmm. a condition. Mm-hmm. They didn't earn it. Right. That's a condition. Yeah. And who do I sound like? Right. What kind of love? Uh, I mean, did you earn yourself? Did you earn God's love? Right. Do you deserve God's love? Did you hurt Him? Do you accept Him? No, I mean it's 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 right. if God that's char- that's who He is that's His character if He's the one abiding in us then it's that unconditional love that we must show to others to our brothers and that's why it's an imperative um, and and not even just an imperative like you must do this but if you're a Christian you can't do anything else but do this because it's God working in you I mean you can you can squelch it you can quench the spirit I really believe that but. To show true, unconditional love, it must be God working in you. Yeah. Because God is love. Love is not God, but God is mm-hmm. love. Yeah, I, I, I really like that. Well, <clears throat> this leads right into um, yesterday's message, which was all about um, where I think John takes this, is just trusting in a different hope. He spends the first part of that, of, of um, chapter 5, sort of recapping everything that he said prior to that. And so I won't go back through that again, but it is important to, to note that because he's, he's actually setting, setting up what I think is going to be his final argument, um, which is that, you know, why am I even writing this to you to begin with? Why, why am I telling you that this is what a Christian does? Why, why, am, I, why am I setting this up so that um, you know whether you, you so that you have this assurance, why have I spent all this time giving you this, this this assurance language? And it all has to do with you have a hope that's different from the world, and you need to remember that because I think that when you consider the the, the state of the the people who are left that he's writing to, this is a remnant who's just gone through a big church split, basically, right? But worse than that, because these were false teachers that left them, mm-hmm. and they left them confused and defeated. And one and, and obviously these people were wondering, well, what what if I'm wrong too? What if I've got it wrong? What if what if I've got you know? And so suddenly, in the face of persecution and everything else, you can begin to really lose hope, and you begin to to, to feel defeated. And John doesn't want that to happen. John's John as a as a as a good leader, a good shepherd of a flo- of his flock, wants to make sure that they understand and know, you are children of God. Because of the, these things that I'm showing you that are already evident in your lives. And because of that, you have a hope that's different from the hope of the rest of the world. In fact, he's going to say at the end of this, this is the hope that conquers the world, right? I mean, this is, 
Um, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory. He uses the word victory there. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Um, and um, I think yesterday I spent some time, I didn't go into great detail thinking about thinking through this, but um, prior, right, right prior to that verse, he says, um, um, his commands are not a burden, mm-hmm. right? Because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. Because he's, he's talking about the one who is, is, loves God will keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. And what are his commands? Well, they're the same commands that we've been talking about through this whole thing. Um, the, the ones that John focuses on is believing in the name of Jesus as the Son of God, um, you know, basically trusting Jesus uh, as, your, uh, as, as your Savior, and then um, loving one another. That's it. Love God, love one another. It's the same thing Jesus taught. Um, and so he's saying these are the commands, and they're not burdensome. Um, and then you think about how many people look into Christianity, guys, and they automatically assume that we're this rules-based religion, and, and, and they think, look at that and go, I can't live like that. And, and, and it's the wrong picture. It's just the wrong picture, um, because that is burdensome. If if it was down to rule keeping, man, I'm out. I don't know about you guys. I'm out. If it's all about rule keeping, I'm not. I'm no good at that. I break rules all the time. I mean, I probably sped on the way here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, Jeremiah knows what I'm talking about here because we were both we both listened to the same um, podcast. But I was listening to a guy talk about that just recently about rules. And how we're so funny about the way we deal with rules, um, deal with commands. Like, um, in some instances, like, we watch basketball, for instance. Right now is a big basketball time. We watch basketball, and we think, you know, we see somebody, you know, step out of bounds, right? And we're like, no, he was out of bounds, right? And we're, we're adamant about it. You know, show the replay. He stepped out of bounds. And if he's out of bounds, then the ball has to go to the other team. Right, we don't take any any leeway in that at all because that's a hard and fast rule. But then the same people who will do that will go, oh yeah, the, the speed limit says fifty five, but I can go ten miles over. You know, I, I can bend the rule here for myself. And and you you say, well, if you feel that way about the rules in basketball, <laughs> like why is it that that the other rules um, you you don't. That, you know they don't you don't feel like they do apply to you and you, so you so you you begin to bend those rules and and you know even in, even in these in this, in this case and and I think that there's there's something within us that and I'm bringing this up and I'll tie this to this text because I think there's something within us that um, as long as the rule is about somebody else or I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure because even if I was playing basketball, if I stepped out of bounds, I mean that that's that's clearly well. If we want to use basketball, let's talk about uh, Buddy Bayheim. Right. (laughs) He hits a guy in the stomach. They don't see it. Yeah. They don't call it. Yeah. But they don't have a a a thing in play where somebody can push a button and say, "Hey, you guys need to go up there and check this." Review that, right? And so because they didn't take care of it during the game, right? Afterwards, they took care of it. And and even his own dad was like, oh, it was no big deal. But clearly it was. Yeah. But he was trying to defend his son. Yeah. And um, and even Jay Billis 
said it was wrong, and then somebody quoted Jay Billis, the rule that said that they could go back even after a game and enforce something. Mm-hmm. And so that that's one of those those areas you're talking about. It was like, okay, so now Buddy has to live with the fact that he did something wrong that mm-hmm. probably cost his team an opportunity to beat Duke, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so that's the way life is. Mm-hmm. We have these commandments that are burdensome, burdensome that God gave us to mm-hmm. show us that we can't live up to it, but I provided you this better way that you've been talking about. Yeah. That that takes all that burden away, and and now all you have to do is follow me and love love one another as I have loved you, and then love your neighbor as yourself, so that we continue to spread because I think this way because like you said, if we go to, to rules and regulations, which is kind of the way I grew up in an independent Baptist church. Mm. After I got old enough to make up my own mind, I'm like, I don't want to follow these rules and regulations. Or if I follow these rules and regulations, then I'm okay. If I know the right words to say and look the right way and talk the right way, then I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And so then, clearly, we're not. Yeah. And I think John is, is I love the way he uses we all the time. Mm-hmm. Because he's put himself in everything he's saying. is like, true. this applies to me too. Right. And we, we know. Mm-hmm. And he wants us to know for sure that there's nothing else to be added to this salvation mm-hmm. in the way you live your life. Yeah. So. I'm in a Christian missions class right now, and i got a paper coming up on a uh, like a missionary biography. I'm doing mine on David Brainerd, who is a uh, missionary to the uh, Native Americans in the 1700s, mm-hmm. about the time of Jonathan Edwards. Is, is that first Great Awakening? Second, yeah, yeah, I think so. Jeremiah can tell you. He's recently yeah. studied it. Yeah. First. Around the time of the... <laughs> Great Awakening here in America, and uh, part of his a part of his testimony. And we're talking about like a like a really legit missionary. He was trying to read his Bible and pray and do, but it was all like obligatory, like trying to achieve like righteousness on his own. Mm-hmm. And even reading the Bible, <laughs> excuse me, was burdensome. Praying became burdensome. Mm-hmm. Uh, living out uh, his you know quote unquote faith was burdensome because he felt like there was just a he was doing everything he could to reach God and he finally realized one day it's like this ain't happening and then the spirit used all that to transform his heart into obedience into just try to have a transformed heart and yeah. so uh, I thought of you know looking through you know listening to us talk, thought about a lot about his life and right now and how you know really he struggles with a lot of the same things we do a lot of times mm-hmm. and uh, like Jeff said, I love how John puts it as we. It's like it's a good reminder that we have to preach this to ourselves too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so the the whole idea of, of Jesus, John is saying that our faith has conquered the world. It's conquered. It's conquered a world's way of looking at earning our righteousness. Right. Um, even if you think of other world religions, and I mentioned this yesterday, like I think of um, um, you know uh, Islam and Hinduism. All those are, are sort of works-based religions that where you've got to live your life a certain way, you've got to do certain things to appease God, um, and if you don't do these things to appease God, then you're not going to earn His favor, right? And if you don't follow these these commandments, then you're not gonna you're not gonna earn the favor, the blessing of God, including the blessing of a good afterlife and all those kinds of things that you're looking for, and. Um, the, the truth is, in Judaism, we, we lump Judaism into that category too. It's 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 a burden that 
you know, when you think about all the, how many how many laws are there in the Old Testament? In the actual, it's more than Ten Commandments. So it's like how many? Do you remember how it's many? Like Three hundred and something, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, it's like six hundred and thirteen. Six hundred and thirteen. I want to say that's a lot, or it seems like a lot to me. Um, and a lot of that was rules and regulations and rites and rituals that you had to do a certain way, a certain you had to do it step by step, and all this and. And when Jesus comes, he doesn't say he abolishes that, but he fulfills it so that we no longer have... He conquers it in, in many ways. He, he is, he's conquered that for us. But not only has, is he, he's, he's conquered all the worldviews and the, and the sources of hope that claim to defeat those, 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 those um, you know, um, sin, death, and hell, but he conquered those things for us too. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered hell. And so we have this conquering hope that's different from what the rest of the world puts their hope in you know it's just it just is and the way it's different um is is in exactly what we just talked about which is that it's, it's all based on a relationship i can't think i really can't think of another another actual hope um that that we that we that or, or a world religion or or something that that or a worldview, perhaps that um, that's that simple. That's that simplistic um, as 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 what we're talking about here. I also want to go back though, um, back to one other thing we talked about, which is what we put our hope in. Um, I made a statement yesterday, and um, I'll, I'll see if you can get see what you guys think and see if you agree with me on that. But I said. Um, um, I'm looking for it here. About the vessel thing. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever vessel. Um, yeah, where is it? Nah, it's here somewhere. Anyway, but whatever vessel that you choose, you know, if you put your hope in, in empty things in your life, it's going to be empty of purpose. And you're going to spend your days on, on the earth chasing after things that cannot and will not save you. Um, and and, and that, sounds, that sounds kind of bleak, but it's true because... Of what um, uh, of what John says uh, here it is the vessel we construct to hold our hope will be the one we value the most and we will identify with it um, do you think it's true the whatever vessel we construct to hold our hope because hope is so important to all of us I think we all want hope and whatever it is that we construct to hold our hope will be the one that we it will be the thing that we value the most will be the thing that we spend our time our energy and our efforts in what do you guys think I agree. I mean, there's if you just compare our identity with Christ and our hope lying in Christ with like just the world and the many things that they hope in. And one of those things, this might be going away in our country, but one of those things is they hope in the government. The government's going to bail us out. The, the government's going to take care of this. Like when tragedy hits, like we're going through now with... Uh, both war over in Europe and uh, with the gas prices here and just inflation here. Mm. Um, There's a lot of fights as to, hey, our, our hope, they're going to they're gonna get us through this, right? And then the other side's like, no, this, this administration can't do that. But it's still, they're fighting over, over you know, they're, they've placed their hope in, in in some form of government, some form yeah. of government, or some form of savior that's not Christ. Or mm-hmm. um, some people 
will uh, panic, you know, and they'll sell all their stocks and make sure they have cash because they feel like cash is is better than than the stock market at this time. Mm-hmm. And, and what what you see is they're putting their hope in their money or their their treasures or or their value, um, and so. It just becomes their identity. It becomes who they are. That's that's what they hope for. That's what they trust in. And everything, if you talk to these types of people, I mean, I know we, we blame it as small talk, but those people who when you only get to talk to maybe once a week and it's always about politics or it's always about money mm-hmm. or it's always about, sometimes it's always about their favorite team or something that y'all have in common. But right. But I'm talking about those that are like it's just, just always constantly like talking. Uh, the the best example I've got is there's always Fox News said this or see <laughs> did you hear that guy on CNN? They said this and I'm like, dude, I haven't seen you in a week. I don't care mm-hmm. what you heard on Fox News, <laughs> but it's because they have this kind of hope or false hope. Well, um, yeah, and I even think about I I think that. Um, I think some people make their their family their hope. Mm-hmm. I, I I was talking about this with my life group yesterday, and part of this is because um, we're all th- those of us who are in that group are all the age that we're you know our kids are leaving the house, and and so we're getting ready to send kids off to college and things and and of that nature. And it got me thinking about all the people who put their hope in their children. Um, that you know, I, I, and they pour all their time and their energy and their effort, and everything is about their kids. And then what happens when their kids leave their home? What happens when the kids suddenly are no longer there for them to po- you know, to post pictures of on Instagram anymore and things? Suddenly, they don't have any, any will to live. They, they are void of purpose. They have no meaning because, and it's not that your kids are a bad thing. Understand that. I'm not saying that. I love my daughters. I, you know, I'm very happy with the family that I, I've, been, I've been blessed with. But if my hope is in my, if all my, my hope is in my two kids and that's it, then when they're gone and they're all doing their own lives, then I'm going to have nothing. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to have nothing. And, and, you know, same thing holds true for those people who, I mean, we joke about it, but it's true. There are some people who literally put hope in teams. And, and I, would, I would hate to think that, that, that my... My entire um, well-being, and I'm not talking about just physical well-being, but emotional well-being, spiritual well-being, would be um, would be balanced on whether or not a rubber ball <laughs> goes through a metal hoop being thrown by five 18 to 21 year olds. I mean, really, that's what you're going to base your entire well-being on. But there are people who do that, Jeff. But like. Uh... The guy that bought the ball, the last touchdown, Tom Brady, oh, yeah. I was just on the radio the other day, <laughs> had uh, thrown, mm-hmm. paid $518,000 for that ball. <laughs> and yesterday, or yeah, was last it yesterday, night. It was last night. He, he upstages, you know, March Madness yep. that I'm not retiring. So how much do you think that ball's worth now? Mm-hmm. And so that guy put... Put all, and of course, he probably had a lot of money to begin with. Yeah. To, to us, that's just unbelievable. Right. But now that ball, <laughs> what is it worth now? Because yeah. it may not be his last touchdown. Yeah. yeah. So now it's just a novelty thing. Yeah. And so 
So this guy has put all of his hope and treasure in this this object. Yeah. You know, uh, and I mean, made this second. I mean, made this huge investment in it. Yeah. But see, we did the same thing. I mean, people come to church, but we're supposed to put our hope and trust in Christ. But maybe they're trusting in a building, or maybe they're trusting in a, a, a Sunday school teacher and being with my friends, or they're t- trusting in uh, you know the budget. You know, we do the same thing. Yeah, we we sidetrack and and we put put other things as our main focus when that's really not the main focus. Right. Right. And. And I think it's because we we just we want to have some tangible things, things we can hold on to. Because hope is so, hope is hope is like faith. It's invisible. It's it's inward. It's it's not something you could say. Hey, this is my hope right here. Right. See it. You can feel it, touch it, and I can explain it to you. It's something that's just part of us. Right. But and I it's think, got to grow. But but I think to that point, I think that's why John spends these next verses doing what he does because he is trying to show that we don't. That the hope we have is an evident hope. That it is something that is that is something that is uh, yeah, tangible it's like because faith, it's a because it's, a per- it's not seen. Well, it's per- he's seen Jesus. Right, you're going to see him. Here's yes. the hope. He's conquered. Yeah. yeah, he's now he's gonna and he's gonna outline for us um, because it's important. It's important to him. I, I skipped over a lot of this yesterday, but I had this whole. Um, I had a whole thing under on evident hope. yeah under under evident that that we trust in the evident hope. I had um, I had intended to show how it's important to John um, and it's important to Scripture and, and to our our doctrine as a whole to show that Jesus is Messiah, right? That He is the human Savior that 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 the Jews were looking for, right? The one that was promised, but that He's also the son of God and that that this this man is absolutely divine and John wants to show that both of those things are true about Jesus not just for a portion of his life but for all of his life because if they're not then our hope falls apart because and the verses that we're gonna, I was going to use show how we have to have both of those I mean you know if you look at um um, Romans five seventeen through nineteen shows us that only a man can earn back what was lost by a man, right? Because that's the one where he t- he compares Adam's sin to, mm. to, to um, the, since by the one man's trespass death reigned through that man that one man. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ, right? So only a man can earn back what was lost by man. So he has to be human. But he's also divine and equal to God in all respects. So that you have um, John 1, 1 shows us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this is this is interesting. Not only is Jesus, not only that he's, does he need to show that Jesus is divine and equal to God in all respects, but the other thing that you got to remember is that only God can forgive us. Only God can forgive sins. If Jesus was just purely human, it wouldn't be an, it, he couldn't forgive sins. In fact, he got in trouble for that, if you remember. And um, I had a couple of verses that were really good about this because Proverbs seventeen fifteen shows us why the why the Jews why the Jewish people the Jewish leaders got so upset. Acquitting the guilty and condemning the just both are detestable to the Lord. So, like letting a guilty person off and condemning a just person are both detestable to God. 
We think about the whole condemning the just thing as being as being detestable to God. You know, how dare anybody call a guilty, an uh, innocent person guilty? But the Bible says that calling an, uh, a, a, a guilty person innocent is detestable to God. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting, right? What, you know, okay, so, so how does that work with Christianity? Well, you go to Romans 4, 5, and it says, But to the one who does not work but believes on him who declares, who declares the ungodly to be righteous. God can do that. Mm-hmm. God's the only one that can do that. Yeah. If humans do that, if we call... Uh, guilty people innocent it's detestable to God but if God call God God is the one who the sin was against so only God can do it and this is why it's so important that Jesus is both God and man and I didn't get a chance to develop that argument and as much as I wanted to and in yesterday I ran out of time and I had to skip over that but I just thought it was such a cool oh, yeah. like a really neat thing and I'd never seen that proverbs verse before I actually ran across it in another commentary I was reading or something somebody made that point and I was like wow that's kind of cool that shows you why it is necessary that God is the one that forgives without both of those aspects without God Jesus being totally human as the as the Messiah and Jesus being the son of God Fully for all of his from from the time he was born to the time he died to the time he rose again. In fact, then then it doesn't work. Our hope falls apart. But then John is going to say, "There's reason to believe. There's good reason to believe that he is all those things." And he's going to use um, several examples here um, that are. He's going to use two external ones, things that are historical events. I think now. We can get into this here if you You're want to. The water the yeah, blood. the water and the blood. Because there, there's, there's, I, Jeremiah and I talked about this a lot. I talked with you about it some too. I didn't get a chance to talk to Blake about it beforehand because um, you were on vacation. Um, but, um, but there's a lot of different ways that people interpret this. Uh, this verse, First John five six. We'll, we'll just read it. Jesus Christ, He is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Now, recall, John is trying to talk to people who are being influenced by uh, Decetism, right? Um, the idea that, that uh, Jesus only appeared to occupy flesh. He only appeared to suffer and die. Um, that, that, uh, th- that's who John is apparently dealing with here. So... He's taking pains to. He's going to take pains to show that Jesus is human. That's what he's trying to get at here, that the Son of God is human, and that Jesus is is the Son of God, one and the same. Apparently, there were those who believed that he was only spirit, or that at some point that the, 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 that the spirit of God was on the man Jesus, but then left him, um, or something like that. So I'll be honest. When I first read this and. Jeremiah and I both talked. Um, I looked at it this way. I thought that blood stood for physical. Because John is saying he didn't come just by water only. He came by water and by blood. So what's John trying to show? John's trying to show that he's both physical and spiritual. So it would make sense that he's saying he didn't just come by spirit, but he came by spirit and flesh, right? And so blood signifying flesh, water signifying spirit or divinity, and I actually found somebody who, who uh, agrees with that interpretation. But then there's a problem with it. Because it says 
It says, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And later in John 5, John 5, 7 and 8, he's going to say, um, these are the three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. Well, if Spirit, if water is Spirit, then why would he say the Spirit, the water, and the blood? Because wouldn't that be saying the same thing as saying the Spirit, the Spirit, and the blood? Or the Spirit, the Spirit, and the flesh? So I didn't really like that. Um, and then um, there there are uh, some who who uh, and I think you your interpretation on this, Jeff, if I'm not mistaken, is that he's just talking about physical birth. Right. Like the the way I always uh, the way I thought about it was the water is the the childbirth. Okay, his mom had him. The water is broken. He's a physical man. And then the blood is passed through the father. The DNA comes through the Father, mm-hmm. so that brings the blood part in with God, and then the Spirit is the third 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 part of it is the Spirit. He has a Spirit like we do, but mm-hmm. He has the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. He is the Holy Spirit, right? So I, I kind of interpreted that that He was born of the flesh, but He was also preexistent as the Father, mm-hmm. the DNA, and the blood, and then the Holy Spirit, right? So that's kind of way I looked at it, right? And then um, because I knew He was fighting against. What you had just talked about, right. the false teaching, that either, either he was just a spirit or he was a man that, that God came on him and left him right. and all that other stuff. That, that This would prove that he was 100% man and 100% God. Right. So, so, there's, so there's that. Then there's those who, who uh, will argue that it's, um, uh, it's, it's significant because it's in John's Gospel, um, I believe, where... The Roman centurion thrust the spear mm-hmm. into his side, and then it, water and blood are said to come out. Right. So um, some people make a, a, a thing about that. In fact, the guy that I was talking about before, who said the thing of, um, about water signifying spirit and, and blood signifying flesh, or water being divinity and blood being flesh, actually made a point that um, in the Greek culture at that time, it was believed that. Um, that Greek gods um, uh, don't didn't have blood, and if you cut them, they would bleed ichor or a, a different kind of fluid, right? And so the idea being here that he that this water is a divine is another symbol for his divinity. So that when he was pierced, not only did physical blood pour forth, but also his divinity poured forth. So um, I don't really like that again for the same reasons as before. Some people uh, combine look at this with. Um, um, the Lord's Supper. I, I, I mean, there is a number. Oh, yeah, there's of so different, many different interpretations. But the one that the one that I liked, and the one that I kind of fell on, um, and I liked the most, and and from what I can understand, most most modern scholars are are sort of going with this interpretation. Um, that mean it's right. Just just what 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 I ran across. Uh, Danny Aiken in his in the Christ Center commentary that actually I stole off your shelf like and read. Um, I'm glad I was useful. Even yeah, on yeah, you, you are here. So you are here to to, to to to. So I just went to your bookshelf and noticed that you had the Christ Center commentary and Aiken happened to be the one to have written that one. And uh, he, he he takes the he takes the 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 stand as well that that what what John's getting at here is uh, baptism and Jesus' baptism and the death of Jesus. That two significant um, moments, historical events that serve as external evidence of the fact that he is the Son of God. The Docetics would would agree that Jesus' baptism 
uh, confirmed him as the Son of God. In fact, they said that that's when he became the Son of God. But I think what John is going to show is, no, he was the Son of God all along. Right. It was, right. This, this is not when he became the Son of God, but this was just a testimony to who he, who he already was. And then the the crucifixion, John wants to show that that it's not that just that because that what they believed was that kind of like the is kind of like Muslims now, the idea that God would God would never allow uh, his son or or any you know or himself to to be crucified on or murdered by man. Yeah. So he would intervene. He, he would see. intervene somehow, right? And. And his spirit would be removed from that individual so that he wouldn't suffer this humiliation. Um, and uh, that's what apparently some of the, uh, one of the Docetics, and I can't remember the guy's name, it starts with the C, uh, but there's there's actual evidence that this is what he was teaching at the time. Was it Severus? It's not Severus. It's, it's Salinius? Yeah, it's something like that. I, ha- I had it on my phone over here and I don't know. And I did put it in my notes. Uh, but anyway, I, I can look it up later. Um it, it doesn't matter. It was one of the docetics. He believed he was teaching that that Jesus, uh, the Spirit of God, had left Jesus, and what John was says, no, he is he was the one who came. Jesus is the Son of God because remember he right before he said, who the uh, who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus Christ or Jesus Messiah. He is the one who came by water and by blood. Not by his baptism only, if we're going to read it this way, right? Not right. by his baptism only, but by his baptism and by his death. And why is that important? Well, we just went over why it's important. Because if 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 he doesn't um, if he doesn't do that, then uh, then we're not saved. And then I I, I kind of I wanted to show, um, and if I had more time, I would have spent more time on this. But I wanted to show that that. Jesus' death on the cross, that the significance of that, John's not adding it. John and others didn't add it to it. Jesus himself had said on multiple occasions that he would suffer and die. And at least on one occasion in Mark, he actually says that he's, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this isn't something that John and Paul and the others um, have uh, significance on this on, on the death of Jesus is not something that they cooked up afterwards. This is something that Jesus predicted about himself and actually said, you know, he shows he shows on the road to Emmaus, right? That that these things are have to happen. Well and if you look at Isaiah fifty three, the whole thing is all about this suffering servant by his stripes you are healed. That it, it basically lays out the ransom that's paid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I agree. And then you look at uh, what is it? Psalm um, the one that is it? Is fifty two? No, it's twenty two. Twenty two. I should know that. That was the one that I was going to preach yeah. <laughs> before COVID, right? Yeah. Uh, the where Jesus, uh, where it just yeah, so literal. If you read it, it's basically a description of a crucifixion before yeah. it even happens. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Anyway, so then, then add to that, not only do the baptism and death serve as evidence of his sonship, but also the Holy Spirit. And, and that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. The Spirit, when the Spirit comes, he is going to point to truth, and he's going to remind you of all the things I taught you. And what happens when the Spirit comes? Well, the Spirit comes at the day of Pentecost, and they're speaking boldly the truth about Jesus being the Son of God, boldly the truth about the gospel. And so suddenly 
you have the what John's talking about. You have the, the baptism, his death, and the Holy Spirit. All three testify, and all three are in agreement that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, and that's that's to, and, and then add to that because he doesn't stop there. Then he goes on and says, if we accept the testimony of men, God's testimony is greater. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, it's God's testimony that he's given about his son. Mm-hmm. So the Bible isn't just, uh, the Bible is the record we have of Jesus, right? But um, this isn't just something that man has come up with. This is God's testimony about his son. And that's why we would say that, you know, when you hear someone like uh, Dr. McKinnon, for instance, who says um, uh, that often people were like, man, if I could have just been there, mm-hmm. if I could have been there, you wouldn't. Like if I if I could have been there and I could, or, or if let's say I'd been there, had my cell phone out, uh, Jeremiah, and I, I was videotaping everything that happened, right? I got my time machine, went back there, videotaped it all, and then I came back. And then I had a videotape of everything at Jesus, you know, Jesus' resurrection. And I have a videotape of his crucifixion and all that. And and then I can just show that to everybody. I mean, if we had somebody who could do that, then everybody would believe. But why? They, they why would believe they, then? Yeah. Why would they not? Why? Why is, why is that a bad idea? Well, because uh, God, on numerous occasions, makes it clear that that. Uh, greater is the person who who lives by faith because it's all about faith anyways it's mm-hmm. not about sight and he says the greater or or a better evidence of of um uh is better that the, the scripture's testimony or god's word is even greater than than man's testimony yeah or, or man's uh eyewitness accounts that that the scripture because it's from God and it's binding and it, it accomplishes everything that it's going to, we actually have a better witness because this witness comes from God. <laughs> um, because the other witness could be unreliable. Even if the tape was, I yeah. mean, we would figure out a way to have the wrong angle anyways. So <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't be as reliable. People would just say it was a deep fake or whatever. whatever. Uh, they would still not believe because yeah. it's, it's a matter of faith. But actually we... We have a greater witness now, and we still don't believe it. Yeah, and this Second uh, Peter it says it was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, through the writers of the books. And but that's exactly right. So you you have a uh, you know Paul says theotness, a God breathed breath on a page here, yeah. and car- it's carried on by God, and people still don't believe. That's exactly right. And so so God's testimony is even greater. So these people who want to say that. Well, and uh, just to give you an example, sorry. Oh, no, that's uh, fine. Peter goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, yes. and Peter still denies Jesus after that point. I mean, he has he has the greatest what we would call eyewitness testimony on earth. That's what we would say. Yeah. But then he still denies Jesus after that point. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then to, to that point, Jeremiah, one of my favorite verses, uh, I think it's, it might be in Second Peter. Hang on a second. I love this. Uh, oh... I'm having trouble finding it. Um, yeah, here it is. Um, Peter is the one that in Second Peter says, um, uh, he says, and we heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about they heard, yes, they heard the, 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 the this, yeah, the well, this is my beloved son. I take delight in him. He talks about that, and he says, so we have the prophetic word strongly confirmed 
you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dismal place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So here's the thing. He says, I was there, I was an eyewitness, but that's not what you should count on. You should count on the prophetic word. Mm. Like, that's what you count on. I, I, I think that's amazing. Peter say, Even Peter says, who was there, witnessed it himself, he knows that eyewitness, eyewitness testimony, while it's good, is not good enough. God's word is better. And, and we don't think like that. It, you know, in our modern CSI kind of evidence-driven day, we think that, oh, we've got to have physical evidence, you know. But, but God says, my testimony is greater. My testimony is greater than the testimony of men. And so, well, and even yeah. the testimony of men, uh, people bring that into, like when we did the apologetic about the cross and everything, I think you did that where there's all, all the accounts are a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, and so people try to say, well, the difference is it all proves it's wrong, but it actually brings more strength to it because no no two eyewitnesses, even if they see something, are going to give the same account. No, you're right. And that's why God's witness is greater because it's the final witness. And what he says is, is true above everything else. Even if my recollection of it is wrong or maybe, it got, maybe I got part of the detail wrong in my retelling of the story. Yeah. Yeah. So. And... Um, to go on later in Second Peter, and I've I've had this is one of my favorite passages to teach on on Wednesday nights. It's just it's like one of those passages. It's just like it delivers like a knockout punch. It's great. But for verse twenty one, it's like for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So like no yeah. genuine pro- prophecy was ever from man. Right. The origin of man, man's origin, right. man's intention. But man spoke from God. Yeah. As they were carried along by. I like that. I like Spirit. that a lot. So, and then on top of that, if that's not good enough for you, then um, John says, not only do you have the testimony of God, which is greater, but the one who believes in the Son of God has this same testimony within him. Because if God abides in us, then God himself, his testimony also abides in us. We have the Spirit in us. So we have not only external evidence of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, but we have internal evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, and so um, and 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 a, and a much more bonding evidence, in fact, than than what any of us could come up with. So I just think that's that's pretty awesome. The hope that we place when, we, when we're placing our hope in Jesus, it's not in something that we um, are just con- trying to conceive of or imagine. We're placing our hope in a reality. And people, people need to grasp that. It's not just something that's nebulous. It's something that's concrete, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He did. Um, he lived a sinless life. He suffered, and he bled, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And then this hope, that hope is not just a hope for this life only, but a hope that will go all the way into eternity. Um, That's right. You know, and and so that was the final point was that this is an eternal hope that we're we're talking about here, and um, I, I I know you you two young guys probably I don't know both of you guys were raised in churches where you probably sung a lot of Fanny Crosby hymns. Did you know that about Fanny Crosby at all? Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you know who she was? I've heard the name, but I would have I would have guessed honestly. Uh, I always thought Fanny Crosby was a Southern Gospel singer in more modern times. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. It just sounds like a like a kind of country singer that <laughs> Southern gospel. Fanny Crosby steals a Nash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I would have guessed. I didn't even. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know much about her. Well, I didn't know she made that comment. Of, that was pretty cool. That was a good comment. So, like, I uh, I I knew of her. Uh, like, and uh, Blake, I know you grew up on him. Did you know who Fanny Crosby was? I'll be honest, I thought she was an actor. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard I, the name. I had no idea. She I is, heard like, the name, like, but I'm you like, look, and honestly, if you look in a, in a hymn. Yeah, she's hymn written book, most of them. Uh, she's written a bunch of them. All the lyrics that, of a lot of the hymns that people, all the loved hymns that we sing uh, from time to time. I, I We've been in the church in forever. Like, My guess written, was before I knew it was her, it was Horatio Alger. Oh, Okay. Um, and then you like put up the woman I'm like nope it's not her and I, when you thought when you first thought I thought they put up Annie Armstrong or something I, yeah, that first, their own slide or no something. that was her that's her too it's just and, her yeah. uh, I had I had put two pictures in the, in the, the slide presentation with the, with the lyric to it I'm like oh yeah that's Fanny Crosby yeah I I put two two pictures up and the the first one that they pulled up the one of, yeah. she's wearing her she's wearing her, her she's blind she's yeah. wearing her sunglasses the dark tinted glasses right. yeah and um but I knew from a distance that would be really hard to see. You would kind of understand what, what you're looking at, and so I replaced that with that other with that other image, and then I forgot to take the other one out. And so when Mike pulled that up, I was like, "That's who I'm talking about. That's not the image I'm looking for. Go to the next one." But yeah, the the, the idea that she is um, she might as well have been born blind. She wasn't. She she wasn't born blind. She was made blind by a doctor's mistake. Unfortunately, it was really sad. But um, in her consciousness, though, she was blind from birth. Right, right. As far as she knew, she was yeah. blind from birth. She never, you know, she she, yeah. she never remember seeing anything. And then for for her to say, um, you know, that if I had one petition from birth, um, I would wish to be born blind. And 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 you think what? If you had one wish or one desire that you could make. From the time you were born, you would choose to be born blind? Really? Like, out of everything you could choose, that's what you would choose. You would choose a disability. It's a little odd at first. Right? I yeah. mean, that, that, that's, that's a... Why? And the pastor asked her, why would you... Why? And I love her answer. Because, you know, her answer being, um, you know, because when I get to heaven, the first face that I shall ever glide in my sight will be that of my Savior. Wow. What a great answer. But that's an answer of somebody... Whose hope is in eternity? That's right. Greater hope. Is it greater hope than riches and wealth? I'm sure she wrote that one. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I don't know. I don't know if that's her, but, <laughs> but I'm sure that's that. The, the, I can't remember. I should know all the ones that she wrote. I, I should no mention idea. some of the other ones that she wrote. But but no, you know. So this is an eternal hope, and I, and and I think so often what the mistake we make is that we. We focus so much. I was talking about this to our life group yesterday. Why is it that, why is it that we, when we think about it on paper, if you if you think about it on paper, from I'm talking from a Christian perspective, we know, we know, that right now, our human existence, these 70, 80, 90 years, whatever we have, right, or or fewer that we have right now, we know that that is just a drop in an eternal bucket of time, Mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't, like, so much so that if you consider that that this little dot compared with 
the eons of time afterwards, you would say, well, why is it that we fret and worry and, and get so concerned with so much? Because we do. We, we, we worry so much about what's, what I'm doing right now, right? And what I do right now, like the numbers in my bank account and the, you know, what my kids are doing and whether or not my team is winning, that matters to me more than anything else. When eternity should be really what we're focused on. Well, why is it that we don't focus on eternity? Why is it that we, that we miss this point? And, and, and with it, I'm, I, I argued yesterday, also missed the point of having this joy and this fellowship that John's talking about. Why is it that Christians, I'm not talking about non-Christians, why is it that Christians get so caught up and don't focus on eternity and focus more on this little dot of time that we're in, that we're, that we're occupying right now? Why is that? Uh, we're fallen. And I, I, I think it's like childlike faith. I think, I think God looks at us like we, we look at children. I really do. Because you think, like, my, my kids have the craziest breakdowns over the stupidest stuff. <laughs> and if they had my perspective right, they would be like, dude, this is so stupid. This is so minuscule. Right. It matters not in life. Yeah. And I think if we, anytime we take our focus off of the eternal, off of God, we have that childlike mentality to think that this matters more than it does. Yeah. This little problem I'm having. And, and from God's perspective, he's looking at us like, why are they having a breakdown over this? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is yeah. so, like, don't they don't they know, like, uh, he, he literally says in the Do Not Worry passage, don't they know I, I want to give them the keys to the kingdom? Like, don't they know that my kingdom is so much bigger than this? Right? Why are they worried about such, yeah. such a little bit? But I'm, look, I'm saying they. I put, look, I, 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 I'll, put oh, yeah, the, yeah. I'll put the finger right, myself. I think from, from our American perspective, I think part of our problem in the church in America is we're, we're the church in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're in the land of ease. The mm-hmm. land flowing with milk and honey. We're in. I mean, we've got it made, really. Yeah. Think about it. I mean, uh, like my entry. If this would have happened to me, you know, a hundred, hundred over a hundred years ago, they probably would have either cut my leg off mm-hmm. or I'd be crippled for life. Right. You know. Well, there's countries right now where it would happen to them, and they would cut their leg off, or they'd be crippled for life. Yeah, sure. So we're we we just have so much, so much available to us. That that we're we, we're more, you know. I think that's part of our problem. We, yeah. Our, we're so focused on the here and now and everything that we've got, and even preachers preach your best life now and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. That that we equate prosperity and blessings and all that with with this with the spirituality that really doesn't exist. Yeah. Whereas if everything's taken away. Where are you going to turn? Well, I mean, everything was taken away from us during a pandemic, and you would think, well, that would turn everybody back to God. Mm-hmm. But did it? Right. No. Right. You think about like the people in you in, in Ukraine right now, right? Yeah, in, I mean, you you got Ukrainian. people getting getting their you know they're getting bombarded, and the world's just sitting back going, well, we really don't want to get involved in this thing right. because we don't want to make somebody mad. Well, it's like we we've forgotten what what. You know what everything's about. Well, I, and and I'm thinking, you know, those people are losing. You're talking about losing everything. They're they're losing their home. They're yeah. losing their homeland. They're going into these 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 refugee. 
And what, what's happening, though, and I was reading articles uh, this weekend. Um, uh, I still get Kentucky Baptist mm-hmm. uh, stuff. And I was reading articles this week about um, churches and uh, Baptist churches in Poland that are pulling in refugees oh, and yeah. working with community. And, and it, it's in those moments when suddenly your mortality does face you that people tend to, when things are taken away from you, people tend to start stop looking at the here and now and look towards eternal things, right? And they're having, and they, and they said that the, the Ukrainians who are coming in are very open to having these conversations oh, about yeah. faith and about about what happens next and all this. And so, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a reality. And like you said, like I can remember back when like 9-11 happened, and we had the same kind of conversation. The pandemic first started happening. Everybody was asking, how do I pray, right? Because when those things happen and those yes. things occur, it causes for a moment that curtain of the here and now to drop and we suddenly see, oh, there's more to this than just right now. Um, and I think that's what happens. I think it's almost like there's a curtain in front of us that, that's like, that reads now, right? And so all we can do is see the now. And we, we have the ability to pull the curtain back and look into it. God's given us that ability. He's given that ability to us through his word. But we choose not to do that. And often we just get so caught up in the moment. We're, we're, we're creatures of the moment. Maybe God's, maybe that's in our design. I just we're think creatures we just, of the moment. We just have too much. Well, I, I think that's part America's of it. America's... I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, it's easier to be a creature of the moment when my moment's comfortable. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, I agree. I mean, our biggest problems were paying over four bucks for gas. Right. I mean, think about it. In, in America, that's pretty much everybody's biggest complaint. Right, right. As opposed yeah. to, you know, a bomb to get ready to fall out of the sky. Right, right. Who, whose situation do you want? Or like, I'm going to get on a boat from Haiti and go across the ocean to try to make it to the Keys for a better life. Right. You know. Yeah. So, so you know, I, and the church bought into this prosperity and the American way. And oh, yeah. That equals the gospel. Right, right. And so then when you look at the other countries, like, well, you know, there, everybody in this table's been to a dirt poor third world country. Right? Yeah, they don't have anything. No, and and when you present the gospel, it is everything. Right, and and they're not really worried about now. I'm going to get a nice house and a car and everything. It's like now I've got I've got brothers and sisters, and we can share and we can take care of one another, and we're going to have a future. Yeah, you know, in glory. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I well, I've told you before when um, when when I went to when I went to Belize, um, the Christian believers that were there were some of the most joyful, yeah, um, like servant-hearted and people. They'll be so I had, generous, and they have nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'd ever met in my life, and it's because they, yeah, exactly, like they have nothing. I mean, they have nothing. Like the the living situations. Many of those people mm-hmm. were. Were, were very, very poor, but they were the happiest Christians, yeah. the most joyful Christians I've ever met. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, there, 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 is, there is a truth to that, that one of the reasons why we as Americans, I think, can't look beyond the curtain of now is because it is comfortable to look at. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, look, we, this has been an extra long edition of uh, Monday Main Point, but I've enjoyed it. It's been good to have a, a nice long conversation with the three of you. Um, we will look forward to returning back here again next Monday uh, where we'll be talking about the message that Jeff is bringing. Uh, do you know which one blog article you're going to be talking about the next one about um, count all joy when you fall into various uh-huh. trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various <laughs> trials. One.
Well, then we'll be back on hope. Yeah, we'll be talking a little bit about because you're doing the the first Thessalonians four. Passes. Yeah, that'd be the that would be the one right around Easter. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So I'm gonna do that, and then I'm gonna do the one so we'll I was be back just wrote about the neighbor nearby. Okay, so I'm yeah. gonna do the problems, cool. the trials, and then the neighbor nearby. Then I'm gonna go to the the okay. hope, and then I've got one that I'm writing for the Easter one about uh, when Jesus shows the scars. So mm. you know. It's basically going to be me. What you know when when things happen to people, I ask them. You know, was God trying to teach you? Yeah. So you know, it's more kind of be devotional. Well, I'm sure you've had a lot of time to think and pray and yeah. reflect, and and it'll be interesting to hear some of those things that God's revealed to you during this time too. So, all right. Well, uh, that'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, if you have any questions or any comments about anything you've heard on Monday Main Point. You can email us at rospcpastors at gmail.com. We'll be glad to hear from you. Well, until the next one, have a great week and so long.